clap. Very good. I tell you what, you count one, two, three, and I'll do four, five, six. Okay. One, two, three. Four, five, six. Cool. (laughs) Useless. Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show! Hello and welcome to Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show, the podcast all about moon-related stuff. We are recording this episode on the 17th of January 2022 and I am Andy, the self-appointed moon expert. I am here as always with the moon everyman with the everyman questions, Rick. Hello Andy. Hello, and on today's show, we are going to be talking about the mysterious moon hub discovered by U22. We are going to be giving an update on the DART mission. That is the mission that's going to smack into an asteroid. We have a new moon bonanza with the new moon of Jupiter that was found by friend of the show N3. That has been confirmed. There has been a new moon of Saturn that has been discovered. Some sounds of Ganymede have been captured by the Juno mission. There has been a new exomoon potentially discovered. It's yet to be verified, but we'll talk about that nearer the time. And because I forgot to do it last episode, we shall be ending the show on And the Next Moon Is, which this time we're going to be talking about Carpo, the Lone Ranger moon of Jupiter, so to speak. But more on that later. First things first, though, Rick, how are you doing? I'm not bad, Andy. And you're going to ask me what I've been up to in the last month, aren't you? That's usually how it goes, <laughs> yes. So, uh, basically, Christmas. Also, I turned 40. Oh, happy, happy birthday, happy 40th. Thank you. I'm now uh, middle-aged. My life begins, apparently. This is the first month of my life. Do you feel an awakening? I feel tired. <laughs> <laughs> This has never happened to me before, but I was watching a film on Saturday and it was at nine o'clock at night, about 40 minutes into the film, and I fell asleep twice during this film. And it wasn't a slow-paced, thinky indie film at all. It was a bombastic, frivolous, thriller-minute 80s action (laughs) film, Big Trouble in Little China. And I was just nodding off. And then it was like, I can't keep awake. Went to bed at quarter to 10 and I got 11 hours sleep. And I have no idea what's wrong with me. So it's a slippery slope. Have you got slippers yet? I do have slippers, Ooh. but um, that's because I'm always cold. And here is a consumer tip for you. I get Primark slippers, but I always get the women's slippers because they're so much more comfortable than the men's. And they're like little boots. So they keep your feet warm for ages. And they've got memory phone in them. So it's like walking on a cloud <laughs> fantastic good good slipper tips there if you've got any slipper tips uh, listeners then do write in <laughs> yes uh, write in write in your slipper tips to the moon podcast <laughs> we used to talk about moons but we don't know we're getting older we've kind of forgot why we started this conversation we've lost our way we're like the rolling stones in the 80s i do like uh, migrating the moon podcast to it ends up just talking about middle-aged things best way to buy slippers and who to buy them from and and no one ever questions it on today's episode we got three different <laughs> microwavable hot water bottles which one stinks the least which bingo hall is the best We judge by bingo caller, (laughs) cleanliness, and uh, number of cards you're allowed and quality of the ink pens they give you to stamp each card. (laughs) Hopefully it won't come to that yet. (laughs) I think we're both at milestone 
ages because you just turned 40. I turned 30 a few years ago. So we're all at like the key stages, so to speak. I'm, I can no longer be one of the amazing 30 under 30 that Time magazine banged <laughs> on about. Yes, you're, you're now pitching for the reasonably good under 40 and I'm, I'm going for the adequate has passed 40, but it's not yet 50. What have you been up to for the last month? I have been kind of relaxing. My output for the Moon Channel hasn't been as it hasn't been as good as I wanted it to be. But I've been kind of prioritising social gatherings and just seeing people rather than actually burying myself in my room working on moon videos and actually going out and seeing people going for hikes that kind of thing trying to make the most of the outdoors and seeing people while while we're allowed to in case there's another lockdown but also i spend all day every day in front of a screen so i'm just trying to take a bit more care of my mental health and be a bit more social so that's why the output on the channel hasn't been as great as i wanted it to be but it does mean that the moon videos i make are a bit fresher like uh, the latest one i put out puck um, I was quite pleased with how that one turned out. Yeah, that was good fun, though. <laughs> I'm trying to quickly remember something about it. <laughs> Anything at all about the moon of Puck. Right, okay. Um, it's not loading quick enough, so I can't even blag it until... Okay, what planet does it orbit? Uh, Ju uh, either Jupiter or Saturn. Oh my god, neither. Right, that's it. <laughs> the show's cancelled. <laughs> I had a good statistical guess there as well, because Jupiter's got bloody loads. <laughs> Oh, no, no, hang on, I remember it now. It's either Uranus or Neptune. <laughs> uh, but it was part of a group of mischievous, um, mischievous moons, wasn't it? Sort of named after trickster gods or fairies or spirits. Okay, so the moon itself is named after the mischievous spirit from Midsummer Night's Dream, and the features on the moon itself are named after mischievous spirits from folklore. So you get some redemption points for that because that means you stuck it out till the end of the video. Yeah, sorry. Okay, you're forgiven. So good news, we can carry on with the show. To be fair, it was over Christmas, and my brain switches off for Christmas. Oh, yeah. Mine turned into pudding. Shall we crack on with the rest of the show? Uh, yes. So... I know I keep banging on about YouTube 2, but this was an absolute gem of a story. In the 5th of December 2021, which goes to show you how long it's been since we've done a, a podcast, so apologies for that. Sorry, quick one, Andy, for the new listeners. What's uh, YouTube 2? Oh, yes. YouTube 2 is a moon rover, but not just any moon rover. It's the best moon <laughs> rover. It's a Marks and Spencer's moon hypoallergenic. <laughs> Moon Rover, yeah. With gold-plated solar panels, four-wheel drive, and leather seats. This is an M&S Moon Rover. Uh, no, it's it's the best Moon Rover because it's been it's the longest running Moon Rover and it's been going for 1,100 days as of the day of recording, which is monumental. It was only planned for three months and it's found some incredible things, including a moon hut. Ooh. So on December the 5th, 2021, it captured this moon hut on the horizon. Now, if you go to the show notes, can you see an image of the moon hut on page one? Uh, I can see, a, yes, a blurry image. Uh, it looks like a moon-like horizon. Yeah, on the horizon, there's a little lump. It's a very pixelated, but uh, you could see why it's either called a hut or it also looks like, um, you know, those big satellite dishes. Yeah. Uh, balls that is like that would be on the horizon, so miles away. Or it could be a, two golf balls that are just like five metres away. Yes, 
Yeah, exactly. One of the reasons why it's so hard to tell how big this image is, is one, there is no kind of haziness on the moon. So when you're looking at something that's really far in the distance, there's a bit of haze between you and it, and that's due to the atmosphere of the Earth. But on the moon, everything is crystal clear at every single distance, so it's really hard to kind of gauge how far away something is. And with this, there's nothing else around it to kind of measure it for scale. So as you say, it could just be two big rocks. It could be something massive. It's very hard to tell. And also it's such a grainy image because it was a bigger image that's been cropped down and blown up. So that's why it looks a bit grainy. But anyway, U22 snapped this and then it spent the next two to three lunar days traveling towards it. Now, if you remember, a lunar day is 14 Earth days and in between those days it has to go to sleep so it can recharge its batteries and then wake up. So it took almost a month to get there. That's a fair old walk. Oh, yes, <laughs> so yeah, it is. I, I hope this hut was worth it. Uh, it. It got a lot of attention online. It went viral for a little bit. Some of the um, explanations were hilarious and someone's like, look, it's the set where they faked the moon landing. I mean, if you're going to call it the mystery hut, I, I'm expecting something big. What did you want it to be called? Cosmic Shed? <laughs> well, no, knowing the nomenclature committee at various space agencies, it's usually called Unknown Horizon Object 732916. That's true. So, yeah, I mean, they've got to call it Mystery Hut. It's like, okay, you've got to deliver on that. Yes. I want something very Scooby-Doo. A cr cross between the Scooby-Doo Mystery Machine and Pizza Hut. <laughs> Well, if you scroll down to the next page, U22 finally trundled up to it and took an image of it, and lo and behold, the mystery moon hut was a rock. Hey, that's, um, that's quite a small rock, isn't it? Or, or once again, we don't know scale. Oh, that is a good point, actually. We don't have scale. It could be quite big, like a metre across, or it could be quite small. How slow was this thing moving? It seems quite slow in that I said it could have been some golf balls. Yeah. And then it's come up closer and it's a rock. So it's not a massive object. So it hasn't travelled all the way to Horizon to find a massive, grandiose mystery hut. It's, it's only travelled a little way, hasn't it? Yeah, it's travelled about 100 metres, which I know over the course of a month that doesn't sound like a lot, but it was going uphill. <laughs> That's... That's quite slow. I I think I've I've been behind people who have the same rate of advancement on the pavement, and I get annoyed at them. Yeah, well, yes, I get annoyed at them too. But this little rover was only meant to be going for three months. How would you feel if you were meant to do a job that said, "Okay, you two, it's only going to be three months," and then three years later, you're still trundling along, being like, "Oh my god, when will this end?" <laughs> I probably wouldn't be in a hurry to go, oh, you two, go look over there at that horizon, quick. It's like, yeah, sure, whatever. Another thing on the to-do list. <laughs> a different rock. Oh, whoopee. It's a rock. Uh, but they did name the rock after U22, by the way. Did they? What, the rock is now called U22? Yeah, because U22, or U2, means Jade Rabbit, because the rock looks a little bit like a rabbit. It does. As a rabbit owner, I can say that's it's like a, a petrified rabbit has, has been sort of, yeah, fossilised and put on the moon. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Are we sure it's not like some sort of moon civilization who had sort of garden gnomes of rabbits and then this is just weathered? It could be a leftover of the rabbit clangor war of 89. <laughs> 
where there was some horrendous Pompeii-like explosion that just coated the rabbits in ash. It does look like, yes, a, a rabbit has done a left turn because it's slightly leaning and then has been put into lava or uh, some other how otherwise petrified. Yeah, I'm a bit frustrated that I can't find how big this rock is. Well, that's why it's a mystery. <laughs> uh... So it could be a metre across. It could be, be five centimetres. I don't know. I think it's bigger than five centimetres. I'm pretty sure it's like a metre. I'm sure we could do some sort of clever trigonometry if we know it's travelled 100 metres and it was this tall before it travelled and now it's that tall after it travelled. I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure there's a maths question there. There is, and I'm too tired to be able to yeah. f- figure it out. So <laughs> we'll just say it's a mystery, unsolvable, like um, Fermat's last theorem, even though that has been solved but we'll just pretend it hasn't for the purposes of this. I think that's a very good analogy. It's an unsolvable mystery that's actually solvable. It's just more we can't be bothered. So, Rick, do you remember me talking about the DART mission a few podcast episodes ago? Yes, I do, because I worked on something similar. Oh, sorry, I didn't work on it. I worked in an office where someone else was working on something similar. But for the sake of the podcast, I'll say I've, I've forgotten. Could you remind me? Yes, I can. The DART mission is a mission by NASA's Planetary Defense Coordination Office, and the DART mission stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. And the plan is to send DART, which is a satellite, up to a binary asteroid system. And in this little binary asteroid system, you've got one big asteroid and one smaller one. And the smaller one is an asteroid moon, which is in a stable orbit around the bigger asteroid. The bigger asteroid is called Didymos, and the smaller asteroid moon is called Dimorphos. However, it used to be called Diddy Moon, and I love that, so I'm going to keep calling it Diddy Moon. <laughs> so you got Didymos and Diddy Moon. The idea is they're going to send up Dart, and it's going to smack into Diddy Moon, and it's going to inject kinetic energy into that system. And the plan is it's going to alter its trajectory, and we're going to see if enough kinetic energy has been injected into this system to alter Diddy Moon's orbit by enough to kind of warrant a change in trajectory, therefore knocking it off course, still keeping it in the system. So it's still going to orbit the bigger asteroid of Didymos. But if we change the trajectory, that means we can redirect asteroids. So therefore we can start building up the planetary defense of rockets and satellites to smack into bigger asteroids. If this test fails, then we go back to the drawing board and think of something else. But if it works, then we can go forward and think of bigger plans for bigger asteroids. That is the plan. That sounds good. Yeah, this this was going back about 15 years. I was in an office with someone who was doing something similar and they're going to smack uh, something into an asteroid. Into, into what is basically a practice asteroid. If, if Earth gets hit by an asteroid that's big enough, it would cause serious damage and could in fact just wipe out the human race, apart from people who live in military bunkers. So someone had the bright idea I say someone, Space ESA, Space Agency, had the bright idea of, can we knock out an asteroid? And then the first thing you want to do is like have an experiment of, can we actually redirect asteroids and so on? And then in order to redirect an asteroid, you can, you can thwack something into an asteroid quite easily-ish, <laughs> if you can do rocket science. But the thing is, you want to know how much you need to do it and how much it would work. So you can't just send up, oh, let's just send a, a ton of metal and that's a thousand kilograms and let's smack it into the asteroid because that's quite expensive. Yes. So you want to measure the 
asteroid on its normal projection, hit something relatively light into it with some force, and then measure its altered direction. And then you can work out how much force you put into it to how much angle you got to, got it to change. And then that would be the basis of your uh, defence system. Yes, and that's exactly what they're doing with DART. And they're using ground-based telescopes to measure the new trajectory of Didymoon around Didymos. That was it, because I think when he was doing it, they were just going to do it off a single asteroid and send up a sort of tetrahedron of laser satellites. Whoa, to... that's so big upfront cost. <laughs> yeah, that was it. But if you imagine one asteroid coming towards you, how do you measure the deflection precisely? And it was, yeah, we go up and sort of have to do laser measuring somehow with a satellite orbiting it. And you think, well, how does that know? Because all it's doing is saying, well, there's a, a an asteroid there and there's another one. And it has to measure it off, say, another laser satellite. And then, but those two could be off. So you send up another one and you keep sending them up until you go, right, we've got an idea of where all these are surrounding the asteroid. Now let's knock into the asteroid because uh, we've got our sort of stable measuring apparatus in place. I can see why they went with DART because this way you just need to send up one satellite, smack into the little moon and then measure it from equipment we already have here on Earth as opposed to just sending up a mini NASA. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So uh, yeah, no, it's interesting to see how it's progressed. I, uh, I think this is a very smart solution of injecting a lot of energy into a small object and seeing if we can knock it just a little bit because then it's very measurable and scalable from that. Yeah, no, it's good. So we've already talked about this. Why are we talking about it again? Well, it's an update on it because Dart has launched. It launched on the 24th of November, 2021, which I think was after when we recorded the last podcast. So again, sorry for the delay in that. But on the 7th of December, the spacecraft heading towards its target and Dart managed to open the lens of its camera and take a photo and beam it back to Earth. Now, the photo is very unimpressive. It's just of stars, but from these stars, astronomers were able to pick out constellations. They were able to pick out other stars, known stars, and that's kind of using the guidance and kind of go like, right, we just need to tilt it a little bit and put it on that trajectory. So even though it's not a very impressive photo, the fact that it was able to take a photo of the constellations, beam it back to Earth, put it on the right trajectory, everything is fine with the mission. I think that's a noteworthy update. That's great. Although it does, I don't know, it's kind of like this is our defence system for Earth or, the, or the, the start of it. It's like sending out a bodyguard to go and punch a potential attacker in the face and all it's done so far is they've taken a photo in the wrong direction. It's not in the wrong direction, but... <laughs> yeah, I guess it's kind of like out of the plane window, like taken yeah. off from Heathrow, heading off to Sydney, Australia to punch, I don't know, Rupert Murdoch, assuming he's <laughs> living there. And you're just taking a photo, just like, just going over India. Yeah, that's it. I'm, I'm sure these rocket scientists know what they're doing more than us. Uh, I agree. Unfortunately, it's quite a bit of time to wait until it actually gets there. It won't get to Diddy Moon until the 26th of September 2022. Okay, I'll put it in my uh, calendar. Here's one for the betting book, Rick. Do you think it'll be a success? Uh, I reckon yes, because they've got a very good acronym. <laughs> 
That's the key feature of a successful mission, a good acronym. We have critiqued certain acronyms before. Please, this one actually is reasonable. Okay. Because you've bet that it will be a success, therefore I should probably bet against. But I, I, I am inclined to bet with you as well. So tell you what, if it's a failure, we should donate to charity. Okay. Rick and Andy bet against charity. And if it is, then the local dog's home owes us cash. Yes. We'll, we'll go break <laughs> some poodle's legs. You've been warned. <laughs> Huge news on a personal level that the new moon of Jupiter, discovered by friend of the show, N3, who goes by Kylie in all of the articles about this incredible discovery, the new moon they discovered has finally been confirmed by the MPC. MPC standing for Minor Planet Center. And they're the big dogs who say, yeah, you found something or no bad luck. Congratulations, N3. Yes, congratulations, N3. And so, yeah, the, the MPC are like the official, don't get higher than them. It's not got to go to, like, United Nations or something. I'm going to say the Vatican. <laughs> Fun fact, though, there is a member of the Vatican who is on the nomenclature committee. I think that's for, like, religious reasons or to make sure that there's, like, representation. But, yeah, I have had to email the Vatican before, say, like, why haven't you named the things of Saturn yet. Oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, but congratulations, N3. Now, frustratingly, Wikipedia article about this, which is based on the MPEC that was released about this, MPE stands for Minor Planetary Electronic Circular. So it's basically email newsletter. They say that this moon was discovered by Scott S. Shepard, notorious moon hunter, pew, 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 back in 2003. I, I, I say... Scott, you've had your film. You've discovered more moons than anyone in the history of anything ever. Kai <laughs> discovered this by just pouring their heart and soul into the data. So I'm chalking this discovery up to N3 and Kylie. So in my book, and hopefully in a lot of other people's books, S2003J24 was discovered by Kylie. So how, how does Scott S. Shepard think he discovered it, but then didn't claim it? No, I think it was one of those things where it was a candidate, as in like, oh, this could be a moon, put a big circle around it, and then either didn't follow it up or there wasn't enough data at the time, whereas Kylie went away and poured through even more data going back into previous photos taken on other nights, going like, oh no, the moon should be here in this part. Oh yes, it's there in that part, whereas Scott Shepard didn't do that. So Kylie went the extra way. So it's the equivalent of me taking a photo of the sky using a fisheye lens, putting a big circle around it and go, I claim all moons in there, which technically there will be some moon <laughs> moons in that big portion of the sky, i.e. an entire hemisphere, but you can't just do that. Scott, Scott Shepard didn't go dibs <laughs> on Jupiter. Well, I think during this study, Scott Shepard uncovered loads of moons. I think there were like 20 or like 15 to 20. It was something like a lot of moons were found in this initial survey. So he probably went away with those discoveries, whereas S2003J24 is pretty well hidden. So that's why Kylie was able to go away and find it and spend more time dedicating all of that time to this one moon, whereas Scott Shepard was probably chasing 20 others and trying to sort out the trajectories of those moons and presenting those as confirmed, if you're following. No, that's that's fine. Did just wonder how it was discovered, but not. 
yeah, uh, there were traces of it, and had Scott S. Shefford gone the extra mile and looked in the other photos, he probably would have found it, but took the low-hanging fruit of the other easy-to-spot moons for the paper, and fair play to him, he's the one that spearheaded this kind of survey and went away and was like, yeah, okay, I'm gonna go look at this part of the sky. Oh, look, there's all these moons. So he's found loads. Kylie just went away and found more. Brilliant. Well, well done, uh, N3. Do they get to name it? I hope so. I really hope so. I think I think N3 will have submitted a name. If you have N3, let me know. And if not, listener of the show, leave a suggestion of what you'd like to call the moon. And here are some tips on what you can call it. Because S2003J24 belongs to the Kame group, it has to be named after a lover and or descendant of either Zeus or Jupiter. And the name has to end in the letter E. Uh, so if I've got a fantastic name, how would I send it to the show? Uh, leave a comment on the YouTube video of this podcast. Email it to me at imalunatic at gmail.com. Hit me up on Twitter, which is imalunatic. Or, if you want, join the Discord server, because while N3 was searching for this moon, they were posting all of the discovery images. So me, you, and the other members of the Discord, we saw all of this happening before our eyes, before the public did like weeks later and it was incredible to be part of it being like wow we're just witnessing this whole discovery so if you want to be part of the discord let me know and i'll send you an invite there's a new moon alert rick wow where is it this time wasn't there like 120 moons last month uh well yes and no <laughs> so that's why i'm not super duper enthusiastic oh you've only found one this month eh andy well, okay Actually, definitely for hundred percent realsy this time. <laughs> oh right. Oh yeah. Of course, the ones last month were all theoretical. Well, they're there. They just need to be kind of confirmed in follow-up things. Whereas this one is super duper, no take backsies, double real. <laughs> I like the uh, they're there, but they have to be confirmed. I'm sure I used that uh, excuse for some homework once that I didn't do. <laughs> <laughs> the answers are there, honestly. They're just yet to be confirmed. Yeah. By this big uh, red marker pen that's put in a big circle <laughs> around it and then a cross next to it. Where's this moon found? All right, do you want to take a wild stab in the dark? Um, probably Jupiter, because that's where all the others were last month. So I'm guessing someone's found a Jupiter moon. Uh, that's a good guess, but unfortunately not. This new moon was found around Saturn. That was my next guess. Yes, so Saturn's... <laughs> Official moon count is now on 83. Woo! Woo! <laughs> so I, I'm kind of refusing to cheer 83. It's not a round number. It, it has, it's nothing. Going back to the bingo conversations we had earlier, I don't think it's even a thing in bingo. Look, Rick, as co-host of the podcast dedicated to moons of the solar system, you are obligated to cheer when a new moon is discovered, okay? I am. This... This is what we live for. Eight and three. Time for tea. <laughs> Did you have to Google? Because I could hear you typing. Did you have to Google words that rhyme with three? No, no, it's the official bingo call. <laughs> I'll, I'll join in that one. If, yeah, every time a new moon's discovered, you tell me which number it is, and then we do it. So, uh, 81, stop and run. It do, isn't it meant to be stop and run, 81? Oh, maybe. You are eight and one, fat lady with a walking stick. God, as, as the elderly member of this podcast, Rick, you're meant to know all about bingo. Okay, you're fine. New moon. Brilliant. That's great. <laughs> and it's number 83, you say? Okay, would you like would you like to try that again, but 
about 40% less sarcastic. <laughs> New moon, you say, Andy? Wow, number 83. 83, time for tea. Right, okay, that's the best we're getting out of you then. So... <laughs> you don't pay me enough. <laughs> okay. A new moon of Saturn has been found. It is called S2019-S1, where 2019 was the year the photos were taken that the moon was discovered in. So it was discovered by Edward Ashton, Brett J. Gladman, uh, Jean-Marc Petit, and Mike Anderson on the 16th of November 2021. They were going through images taken in 2019, in this case the 1st of July 2019, and they found a moon candidate, one that didn't line up to the other discovered moons of Saturn so far. So they were like, okay, we'll come back in a while. We predict it will be in this bit of sky on this day. Let's take a photo of it then. And on the 14th of June, 2021, took a photo of the sky of Saturn. And lo and behold, S2019 S1 was in that bit of sky, thus confirming a new moon of Saturn. Fantastic. So the usual top trump statistics for this new moon, S2019 S1 is about five kilometers in diameter, orbits Saturn at an average distance of 11.2 million kilometers, taking just over a year and a quarter to go around Saturn once, so 440 days. It's orbiting at an angle of about 44 degrees, in the prograde direction and it's got quite an overly orbit of about 0.6 so the moon's orbit around the earth is very circular at not and has an eccentricity of 0.05 so if a moon has an eccentricity of 0.6 it's quite overly so it's going to have quite a big discrepancy between the nearest and furthest points in its orbit so with those statistics of orbital angle of 40, eccentricity of 0.6, that puts S2019 S1 squarely in the orbital moon group of the Inuit group. Uh, so what does that mean if it's in the Inuit group? Okay, so that, that means that there are other moons with similar orbital traits, and because there's so many moons of Saturn, it makes it easier to kind of group them together. There's the Inuit group, the Norse group, and the Gallic group or Gaelic group. The Norse group, there are so many moons in that that there's actually subcategories within it for moons that have even closer orbital traits. What I do find quite interesting about the orbital groups is it tells you where the moons kind of came from. And the idea is that all the moons in an orbital group all came from the same moon that was blown apart by an impact long ago. And these are all shards from a bigger moon and they're just orbiting in the same direction. So uh, why is it called the Inuit group? Was it? discovered by Inuits? Uh, no, they um, it, like this is actually quite nice and inclusive because all the moons of Jupiter are named after Greek or Roman gods. Most of the moons of Saturn were named after Greek or Roman like giants. So they thought, well, there's so many of them, we're going to run out of Greek giants. What we can do is name them after giants from other mythologies and other folklore and other religions. So the ones in the Inuit group are named after Inuit giants from Inuit folklore. Oh, okay. Do they have a, an Inuit representative? Like, they've got a Vatican representative. Do you know what, though? We can find out. So, planetary nomenclature. Okay, who was on the group member? So, actually, no, we don't. Uh, for the task group for small bodies nomenclature, which I believe is moons... I can't think of anything else it wouldn't be. It wouldn't be because there's lunar nomenclature, but that's for actual things on the moon like craters and mountains. But the task group for small bodies nomenclature, there's someone from Germany, 
the Vatican, Ukraine, Switzerland, Japan, and China. So not only are they missing someone from the First Nations of North America, they're also missing Gaelic giants and Norse experts as well. Uh, did you say Britain as well on there? No, it's Germany, oh. Vatican, Ukraine, Switzerland, Japan, China. So no one from India. Oh, well, Brit Britain on there. Like, if there's a ridge of the moon, we should be naming it. Uh, <laughs> Probably after a dead general. <laughs> Montgomery crater. Uh, yeah, so in short, new moon of Saturn, Rick is thrilled. Looking forward to number 84, give me more. <laughs> oh, I should point out, the last bit of news was pointed out to me by someone in the Discord server who goes by the hockeyist, and it was because of them that like, I found out about this announcement, otherwise I would have just completely passed me by. So thank you very much for pointing that out, the hockeyist. And they also pointed out that a lot of articles are picking up this thing on the sounds of Ganymede. So the Juno probe flew by the Jovian moon of Ganymede, the biggest moon of Jupiter, and the biggest moon in the solar system, bigger than even Mercury. And when it went past, it measured the electric and magnetic waves produced by Jupiter's magnetosphere. That is also interacting with Ganymede as well, because this moon is passing through the electronic waves, so it's going to interfere with it. So as it went past Ganymede, it measured this, and some scientists have taken that measurement and they've transposed it into an audio range. So the, the frequency of the emissions picked up by Juno were in the range of 10 to 50 kilohertz. So then they took that and then they moved it down into the audio range, and I'm going to play a clip for you now. So this is what Ganymede sounds like, allegedly, but it's just been shifted down to an audio range. Uh, you've listened to it now as well, Rick. I have, yeah. I was <laughs> dancing away. Yes, it sounds just like an Aphex Twin track. Cool. Yeah, it sounds like um, what I imagine a DJ set from a clanger would sound like. It sounds like DJ AOL. <laughs> yeah, that's it. The other, <laughs> the other thing it reminded me of, very, very niche reference, but Streets of Rage 3 music. Okay, that, that is a niche reference. Yeah, I mean, Streets of Rage 1 and 2 had epic techno tracks, and Streets of Rage 3 was just more avant-garde, and it was very cult-like in that some people thought it was absolutely brilliant and ahead of its time, and I thought, no, you've let yourself down there. It's too ahead of its time. It's like, maybe in 300 years they will invent a, a robot that appreciates the Streets of Rage 3 music, but uh, the current time, no. Streets of Rage 2... Brilliant. I will insert a clip of Street Rage 3 now. And I have absolutely no idea what it sounds like, so you're going to hear my opinion of it as I'm editing the podcast. Yeah, it's fine. Five out of ten. But anyway, back to the sounds of Ganymede. So this collected frequency was in the range of 10 to 50 kilohertz, but then it was moving into the lower audio range so then we could hear it. And human hearing ranges from 20 hertz up to 20 kilohertz. That's the perception limit, but we can actually hear things between about, I don't know, like 100 
kilohertz up to two and a, like 3,000, so there's a very limited range in which we could hear it. So even though sound doesn't travel in space, plunk me next to Ganymede, I'm not going to be able to hear it. It's, it's a neat little thing to kind of like visualise what data has been collected, but to me it's ultimately meaningless because you've taken data, moved it down into a range, and then just played it on a computer. It's like we've discovered this new element Here's what it sounds like when we drop it on a Casio keyboard. Plonk. <laughs> Is it like taking the yesterday's moves on the stock market, changing the price to a sort of sound value? Yeah. Like pitch or something and say, oh, this is the sound of a stock market. Yes, exactly like that. And it, it makes some interesting titles of this is what Ganymede sounds like. Is it? I don't think so. I don't, th and I don't think we'd be able to perceive those sounds. It's well beyond the what's called the conversion area, so we wouldn't be able to hear them. We'd be able to feel them, kind of like when there's a really high pitch and you can't hear it, but you, it feels like there's something in the room. That's like perception of a sound. I don't know. I, I just find it a bit clickbaity. It's it's cool data that's been collected, but I think the way that they've presented it is a little okay. So what? This is coming from a guy who, who makes moon videos about moons no one has ever heard of, and frankly don't want to watch. They'd much rather get angry about the Phobos monolith as opposed to learning about Niso. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it's because you said that monolith wasn't a portal to whatever it was. Uh, that, and I also slagged off Alex Jones. Yes, is this the Alex Jones that who I believe in about 2018, his attorneys argued that no reasonable person would believe what he says? I believe that is the same Alex Jones. Uh, our sources for that are the Washington Post, and uh, you can go and sue them. <laughs> ha! Lovely. So, those are the sounds of Ganymede featuring Aphex Twin. So this is some exciting news, that a new exomoon potentially has been discovered. Now, the first ever sighting of an exomoon four years ago is still waiting confirmation, but the fact that another one has been detected yet to be verified is still pretty exciting news and that exomoons could well be more common than we thought they were. What's an exomoon, Andy? Thank you for asking that question, Rick. An exomoon is a moon that belongs to a planet orbiting a distant star, a star that is not in our solar obviously not in a solar system. An exoplanet is a planet outside the solar system orbiting a distant star. It's always been hypothesized that there have been exomoons and they have now been detected. That's pretty good because if I look at a star in the sky and then squint, I don't think I'll be able to see an exoplanet, let alone something going round the planet itself, which I presume is the moon, so an exomoon. Yes, you are correct. So do you know how they detect exoplanets? Uh, the answer is yes, you've explained it before, but for uh, the new listeners, no, I don't know how they, how they detect exoplanets. Do they look really, really hard? Uh, yes, they do look really, really hard. <laughs> Just squint. <laughs> it's, it's, not, it's not easy. So there's two ways you can do it. One is you look at the star and measure how much light is coming out of it over a long time constantly looking at how bright that star is. So you say like you do it over a week and then you have a little profile of what's called luminosity, which is how bright the star is. And if you notice any fluctuations, any dips in the brightness of the star on a regular interval, so every three days you see a dip in the luminosity and that's measurable and you see this happening again and again well that's something eclipsing the star and it could well be a planet 
if it happens once, then it could just be a rogue asteroid or comet that's gone in front of the star, and then it doesn't show up again. But if it shows up again and again on a regular interval, this means you've probably discovered a planet orbiting a star. The other way is looking at the wobble of a star, because the Sun wobbles on its axis because of the gravitational pull of Saturn, Jupiter, the Earth. All these big bodies have a, like an effect on the Sun, so it wobbles around its axis. So you look at a star's position and see if it wobbles on a regular interval, and if it does, then there might be something big orbiting it. It could be another star, or it could be a planet. And so how did they discover uh, this exomoon? Pretty much the same way, looking to see if there were like double dips. Because it has happened before where there's been a dip and then like a smaller dip, but then it's been slightly off every single time. So they've just observed it for like months on end. And then there'd be like a dip and then a small dip either side of it. So it's the planet going in front and then the moon trailing behind it. And then there'd be a dip before the big planet comes along. So they have noticed double dips in the luminosity, and that's how they've discovered exomoons. Uh, could it be another planet going at exactly the same sort of frequency as the first one? It's unlikely, because from these dips, they can model the orbit of the planet, and if the two dips were in the same vicinity at the same time, that means that both of those planets would have to be orbiting very close to one another. And from these dips, you can sometimes infer the size of them. And to be detected in front of a star, they had to be pretty big. So they would actually collide into each other if they were that close to one another. Which star was this around? And who discovered it? The team that discovered it was led by David Kipping and his Cool Worlds lab at the Columbia University. I think he's got a YouTube channel, so I'll put a link to it and also to the video that uh, was shared by N3 in the Discord. And David Kipping is probably going to do a way better job of explaining this than I just did. But uh, he and his team have discovered an exomoon orbiting a planet called Kepler-1708b. Um, I believe that means the star that it orbits is called Kepler-1708. And that is a nice 5,000 light years away from Earth. Oh, is that all? Uh, yeah, that's all. So it's, it's, it's pr pretty nearby. 5,500 light years away means that as they were building the pyramids 5,500 years ago or so, 3,500 BC, yeah. some light left the <laughs> Kepler star and it's, it's travelled 5,500 light years. And I'm guessing it was like, hey, I'm, I'm heading to Earth. Brilliant, there's people there. And then he got hit by a satellite. Uh, yes, that's exactly what the photons thought as they were collected. I'm just looking at what happened 3,500 BC. Yeah. Tin was discovered. Is that the um, Tin Age? Tin Age, yeah, very famous age. But I think we've, we've come a long way since then. Right. You jest. Tin extraction can be used to date the beginnings of the Bronze Age. So I was kind of close with the Tin Age. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, no, I'm, I'm just saying that uh, if we could tell those uh, human beings 3,500 BC as they're discovering tin, we could just lean over their shoulder and say, oh yeah, you got some metal there, that's interesting. Anyway, in our age, we've launched a satellite, it's going to see a photon in uh, 5,500 years time that has just been released now, and uh, we're going to work out what an exomoon is. Anyway, you carry on with your bit of tin. Have you been watching Ancient Aliens again, Rick? I haven't. What's that? <laughs> it's all this conspiracy nonsense about how aliens built the pyramids, and that's exactly the kind of thing that would appear in the show. Oh, okay. 
<laughs> cool. Uh, no, I, I don't watch telly anymore. I try and get out the house if I can. Yes, that that's probably probably more sensible. But back to the ExoMoon discovery. It's the second ExoMoon to be discovered and the second of many, I imagine, because David Kipping seems to really dedicated a lot of time and effort and resources to finding more exomoons and this is a very exciting bit of astronomy that we're just kind of like at the cusp of. So has it been absolutely 100% guaranteed like the previous moon just to confirm? No, 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 no. Like, this is still just... Like, only two transits have been observed. Transit is when it passes in front of the star and makes the little dip, so... I thought you meant the vans. <laughs> <laughs> that would be good going. We spot two Ford Transits going around Kepler 1708. <laughs> I'll bet they're delivering one of my Amazon parcels, I'll tell you that. No, this'll be Hermes. <laughs> <laughs> Where's my desk jet printer? Oh, it's around Kepler 1708. <laughs> Just wait five five thousand five hundred years and it'll be here. <laughs> um, so while I, I'm quite excited about this news, a lot of, some other scientists have been a bit dismissive. Like um, someone at the University of Washington was saying, like he's doubtful this latest signal will turn out to be real, and it's like it could just be fluctuation in the data or instrument noise. I was like, well be dismissive as you want but some instrument noise led to the discovery of the cosmic background radiation that proved the big bang theory and also instrument noise is basically what makes the london philharmonic work <laughs> there you go there's the tagline for bbc proms In <laughs> instrument noise <laughs> it's basically just instrument noise <laughs> You're listening to BBC Radio 3, Instrument Noise. Instrument Noise, for the more intellectual, not like the repetitive instruments that you get on Radio 1. Brain-rotting scum, youth, with their skateboards and graffiti. That's all Radio 3 is now, I listen to that because I'm 40. Or it's, oh, it's just people complaining about the noise coming from Radio 1. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're 40, so that means you've got to listen to Heart Radio now. Oh, yeah, yeah. Where they deliberately play the remixes of the songs that don't have the raps in them. Yes, and they occasionally do the sort of sting or jingle of uh, heart, more music variety, and then play exactly the same song as they played yesterday. Yes. At least with Radio 3, you only get one song per half hour because it's always a concerto <laughs> or something. That's it. Uh, we've gone on far too long about radio. <laughs> so in summary, second exomoon has been detected but yet to be confirmed. It's exciting news. Rick is thrilled. I am, but I'm not going to add it to the bingo chart just yet. How, uh, fact, how many exomoons is that? Two. Two. Number two, one little duck. That doesn't You're rhyme. No, but number two, <laughs> number two looks like a duck. Looks do you like not a know, swan. Do you not know all the twos? 22, two little ducks. Yeah, but... It looks more like a swan or a goose with the neck. No, apparently the audience are supposed to respond with the word quack. So not this swan protest that you're coming up with. This is this is why that we don't let other people under 40s into bingo. No wonder they're all in a home. They've all gone nuts. <laughs> We're ending the features on ongoing feature that I forgot to do last week. And that is And The Next Moon Is, where we try to talk about all the moons of the solar system. And we've got to Jupiter and Jupiter now has 80 moons and we're talking <laughs> we've done most of the interesting moons of Jupiter we've done the inner moons the Galilean moons we've done all of the Himalaya group and now we're entering the lone wolf section of the moons of Jupiter 
On the number of moons, you said we're on number 17, and we're doing one a month about that rate, which means we do 12 a year. Yeah. And what number have we got to get up to? For Jupiter. Just for Jupiter. 80. Right. So we're going to be here for a few years before you even leave Jupiter. And then you're threatening us last week or last month with they're going to discover more moons. Yeah, so I think I'm going to keep going through them in order. But from now on, there's going to be requests put on Twitter or... I was going to say, no, just keep doing it. I think it's just funny just to st- <laughs> be stuck forever on Jupiter. Oh, okay, fine. So unless... Unless you, the listeners, intervene and say, we're sick of Jupiter, talk about Mimas, or talk about Miranda, talk about Sharon, the the moon of Pluto. So unless you intervene and tell us which moon to do, we're just going to keep going through these, and then we're entering the numbers soon, so it's going to get real boring real quick. When I say the numbers, it's the S2003J18, where the only thing to say is, it's this big, this far, this long, this angle, blah. If I was a listener, I'd write in and specifically request that one now, just to annoy you. Thanks. Thanks, Rick. <laughs> I'm not telling you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> just find the dullest moon. There's only like a pixel on a, a, a photographic plate somewhere. Well, I mean, Carpo is a pixel, essentially. But it's an interesting moon because... I thought you were going to say, but it's an interesting pixel. It, it is an interesting pixel because <laughs> its orbit is quite unique. It doesn't fit into one of the orbital groups. So when earlier in the show I said moons that have similar orbital traits are gathered into orbital groups, which means they probably came from a bigger moon that split up due to an impact and shattered and spread all this debris out into the solar system. Some of this debris was still retained by Jupiter and formed an orbital group. Carpo does not belong to an orbital group. And this little moon is only three kilometres, so it's like a rogue asteroid that just got sucked up by Jupiter. What's quite interesting about this is that it has a prograde orbit. Why is that interesting? I thought not moons are normally prograde. It's interesting that it's prograde is because it's so far out from Jupiter. It's 17 million kilometres away from Jupiter, and almost all of the moons at a similar distance, are all retrograde, except for one or two of the other lone moons. So Carpo Valetudo and Thermisto are prograde moons, and they don't belong to an orbital group. So Carpo, this tiny little thing, was not detected in an existing group. And what's also quite interesting about Carpo is due to its eccentricity and the fact that it's on its own little path, it's following the, the Lidov-Kozai effect, where over time its inclination, the, that's the angle at which it orbits, and the eccentricity change over time. And at one point, its oval orbit is going to overlap into the Galilean moons. So it's going to be in the same vicinity as these moons and it could, well, smack into one of the Galilean moons and be destroyed. When's that likely to happen? It's like the next few days? Oh, seven million years, maybe. Oh, well, I'm busy then. Okay, sure. yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> cool. Don't buy a property on um, Ganymede. No, Carpo. Oh, yeah, no, 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 no. Like, that, that's true. Io, Europa, Ganymede or Callisto are in the vicinity of where this moon's 
new orbit could end up. It might not, like the chances of it hitting it are pretty slim, but what might happen is that it gets close to it enough to cause what's called a slingshot effect, where the gravitational pull of the moon kind of like fires Carpo out of the system, and this is called an ejection. So recently there was a comet that flew really close to the sun, and it has been heading towards the sun for the last 80,000 years, and it's been ejected from the solar system because it got so close, gained so much momentum and acceleration as it hurtled towards the sun, but it didn't hit it. It just flew past it and then had enough energy to just get shot straight out of the solar system. So that's what would happen to this little moon if it got close enough to the bigger moons, the Galilean moons, without hitting them. It would gain enough energy to just be shot straight out. Uh, so that's Carpo. Yeah, yeah pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I think it's interesting to talk about the lone wolf moons, and especially when there's like these little details that, oh, it could could hit the Galilean moons. Oh, it could be ejected from the system. Yeah, and uh, what was it named after? Is it a, is it a Pokemon? Uh, <laughs> Carpo does sound like a Pokemon, doesn't it? Uh, no, there, it's was, there was a fish one. Yeah, it's called Magic Carp. Oh, that was it. Carpo. <laughs> <Isn't that laughs> oh, what... I'm sorry. It's <laughs> completely wrong. It's actually Magic Carp. Yeah. Uh, it's near, near enough. <laughs> Is that what all the not... Pokemon are to you? Just like Dragon O, Monkey O, Doggo. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. Pretty sure if you just take a noun, stick in a, uh, any old vowel on the end of it, you've got a Pokemon. Can you name 10 Pokemon for me? Oh, absolutely. Go for it. But, but not by their real names. No, it's got to be the real names. Go on then. Uh, Pikachu. Yep. Charizard. Yep. Uh, Jigglypuff. Yep. Squirtle. Yep. Magic Carp. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we all know it's not it's not called Carpo. <laughs> this is true. Uh, there's a dragon thing. Uh, there's a flower. You know the show? Because all they could say was their name. Yes. So in my head, I'm just doing, right, what, what was there? So sort of Squirtle, Squirtle. Okay, right, Squirtle, yeah. <laughs> Trying to do all the Pokemon voices and seeing what they're saying. So I think, oh, yeah. Oh, was there, there was Team Rocket, but they were a, um, a human. Uh, Meowth? Was that a Pokemon? Yeah, there you go. There you go. Oh, you got six. 60%. That's, that's a B. <laughs> that's good. I'm just going to randomly shout Pokemon for the rest of the show, I think. Uh, good, because this is the last feature. <laughs> Psyduck. Oh, well done for getting Psyduck. I can picture one of them's uh, a rock. Just a massive rock with two fists, I think. Yes, that one's called Geodude. That was it. I'm having that. If I could, if I could just vaguely describe them. Uh, no, I'm not. <laughs> that was your one. <laughs> Right, I'm, right. I'm shutting this down. Well done, Rick. You, you know almost as many Pokemon as you think you do. Oh, what are you going to call Carpo? Uh, not a Pokemon. The not a Pokemon moon. <laughs> okay. should have a quiz at some point where I list out all the descriptions of moons and you have to say which one they're from. Yeah, okay, we'll do that next episode. Just going to end the episode on a quick update of the feature of the show. One of the reasons why I wasn't putting out episodes in December was just trying to take a bit of a break to just recuperate a little bit, um, focus on other videos of the channel. Uh, but Rick and I have been talking recently and organizing creating live shows of this where we do kind of like fun lectures about topics based around the moon, such as 
how much is the moon worth which is a show we've trialed for a science cafe before and that one went down pretty well so what we'd like to do is flesh out the show make it a little punchier make it a little funnier and actually perform it live for audiences so we've contacted a few science festivals and hopefully they'll have us on the bill and we well like when there are like guest lectures and kind of like pop sci kind of stuff there's the cheltenham science festival that we're going to try and get on. There's something called Pint of Science, which has lots of science shows. So we're going to try and do that. And if all goes well, we're going to try and get to Edinburgh to do uh, a couple of shows up there as well. Obviously, writing a show, rehearsing it, practicing it, performing it all eats up a lot of time. So that means we might not be putting out the episodes as frequently as, as we have done. I mean, there's already been a bit of a gap so far, but it might turn into one episode every two months, one episode every six weeks, that kind of thing. We don't plan to end the show anytime soon. It just might mean the content might not be as frequent as it was. However, we hope to be able to record some of these shows so we can upload them as live versions of the podcast. And uh, so you get to come see us free, and I'm sure we will let you know <laughs> where we're going. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Or where we're going to be. They're not secret gigs. We're not that popular yet. Oh, no, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, hopefully we can share the live shows with you. And if you get a chance, come and see us, because that, be that would be a lot of fun to meet some of you in person as well. Uh, so yeah, that was the show. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in touch, please leave a comment on this on this YouTube video. Email me at imalunatic at gmail.com or hit me up on Twitter, which is at imalunatic, or you can search for Sean Mundes and I should appear. Thank you very much for listening and catch you next time. Honest Andy's Discount Moon Show! Oh, hang on, you're doing maths. Yeah. Well, I know you have to go into sort of, uh, yeah, demographics of how long do people live in each country. Yeah. Um, what percentage? Well, hang on, life expectancy. Oh, f I can't be bothered. Let's cut this bit. <laughs> I suspect it'll be the bit that's after the theme tune at the end. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs>